don't know, I, just, I hear that, I just feel like I'm a superhero coming up. Na, na, na. Anyways, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 41. It's page 1090 if you're using the Bible there in the seats around you. If you, if you um, don't have one with you, grab that, open it up, make sure that I'm actually saying what the, the Bible says. And um, <clears throat> we're looking at a, at a passage of Scripture. It's probably the most exciting, I think, the, mo- the most exciting passage of the Bible. Uh, the Apostle Peter has just got done with uh, the first message um, about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, God the Son, who put on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and rose again to give us victory over sin and death and be able to go to heaven one day if we place our faith in him. He, he gave this message prior to this, and this is what happened. So then, those who had received his word, those, had, those who had personally heard that word, that message, and received it for themselves, they took it as a personal choice to put their faith in Jesus Christ, were baptized. And again, you don't get baptized to be saved. You get saved by Jesus, and then you get baptized in order to demonstrate, to make a public profession of the faith, and that's being fully immersed in water. We actually do it right down there. You can't see it from where you're at, but we have a little baptismal thing down in there. It's pretty cool. We do. No, we don't. And that day, there were added, get this, there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. We'll explain what that talking about there. So, you know, you guys have heard me say a person who places their faith in Christ, they're spiritually reborn. And so it's like a little baby, right? A little spiritual baby. 3,000 of them getting together continually doing these things. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. That's some of these incredible miracles that we hear about, that God was confirming his work through these 12 apostles. And so he's doing some incredible stuff, healing people, that kind of thing. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. That sincerity of heart means, uh, that word sincerity means smoothness. In other words, was, there was nothing between these people. The relationships were awesome. No, you know, uh, sharp edges. No issues. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have been back there that day. Can you imagine that? All these people... Thousands of people, because in Jerusalem there's a big festival going on, so there's thousands of people mingling around the streets of Jerusalem. These 12 apostles start telling people about Jesus, and 3,000 of them put their faith in Christ. 3,000. That would have been awesome. But it didn't stop there. Because he says they continually devoted themselves to some things. So 3,000 individuals 
These were the first of the church. Those who are called out of the world to follow Christ. He said he was going to build his church and the gates of hell couldn't prevail against it. The gates of hell couldn't stop the movement of Christ going to a world and saving people and rescue them from hell and taking them to heaven, but even in their lives to make a transformation of who they were. 3,000 individuals united into the body of Christ. That's what, that's what Jesus called those who have placed their faith in him. Paul talks about and Peter talks about. We are the the body of Christ. Different people from different backgrounds, different uh, skill sets, different upbringings, different races, coming together as the body of Christ with Jesus being the head. Meaning, Jesus is the one who tells us the body how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do, what our purpose is, all unified as one through the power of God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's unifying all these different people who come from all different places and backgrounds, who have really nothing in common, a lot of them, but they have it, something in common, and that's the Holy Spirit. And it was through what they did when they met together on Sunday and what they did when they met together during the week, that through that, the Lord added to their numbers. In other words, other people in their lives, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, came to know Christ because of what they were doing. It's, it's a great summary of, of the change that will take place in a person's life if they truly have placed their faith in Christ. This is a, this is a summary. We've talked a lot about what that change looks like in specific ways, how a person who placed their faith in Christ, how changes will happen in their marriage, how they're a husband or how they're a wife, or changes will happen as parents to the kids or kids to the parents, or how you become uh, changed in how you do your job and how you relate to your boss or your boss to the employees or whatever the relationship is and how we respond and do life changes. And this is just a a really um, big summary of that that they continually devoted themselves to doing some things. We've uh, got this little thing up here. This is one of our four Ds that we talked about. We're talking about our four Ds in this series. And, and we're, we're not taking, and so our four Ds are kind of our mission statement. So we, we are here to challenge people to discover truth, which is what we find in Scripture, the Bible. We're here to help people decide on Jesus and to put their faith in Christ. And today we're talking about the demonstrated change that happens in a person's life who truly has placed their faith in Christ. It's not that we've come up with these four things. We've got one more next week. It's not that we come up with these four things and we go to the Bible and try to find things that make, the, make those things true. The Bible says these things, and we say because of that, that's what we're going to focus on. So we focus on four things based off of what God's Word says. And, and I want to be very clear this morning because I, the first service, I got a little worked up. Um, so... I'm going to try to keep it going. But we need to understand something. These these are the words of God, not my ideas. Okay? This is not my opinion. This is not my idea. these, These are the words of God that we're looking at this morning. So we are the church. And as a church, 
we have been transformed. Those of us who place our faith in Christ, we've been transformed from being individuals who are self-focused and selfish into this body of Christ, this group of believers, this body that is others-focused, that looks to Christ for our direction and how we're supposed to, to do life. Different people from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different skill sets, different gifts, different talents, looking different, acting different, coming together as the body of Christ to do what it is that he's called us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Bible, no matter what our friends and family, co-workers say. We talk about people are going to look at us where, what, what, you're doing marriage that way? Wait, wait, you're actually going to, your wife said that to you, but you're actually going to show her love for after you're not going to trash her? Wait, you're not going to tear your husband down in front of people? You know, that kind, wait, you guys are doing stuff differently. Well, as a church, I'm talking to us now as a church, this change that's happened to us is going to have dramatic impact on the people in our lives, and we have to be ready for it, but Christ has an ultimate plan for it. Because here's the deal. We can be this church. We can be the church just like Acts chapter 2. And how do I know that? Well, the first reason why I know that is this. When they first came to Christ, when those 3,000 people placed their faith in Christ and that church started, there was no persecution. Everybody found favor with them. There was no persecution going on. But eventually, they started doing life differently, and that caused the Jewish leaders to be frustrated and irritated. They didn't want them in the temple anymore. And it caused the Roman government to be upset because they weren't worshiping the, the, governor or the, uh, the emperor. And so they started getting persecuted. They started getting beaten up because of their faith in Christ. They started getting arrested. Some of them were being thrown to lions and killed only because they wanted to worship Jesus Christ. They were continually devoting themselves to meeting together on Sunday and doing life together during the week in spite of the fear that they had of being persecuted. And we can be that church today if we are continually devoted. It's referenced in verse 42. But it's interesting because throughout the rest of the verses, 43 talks about everyone kept feeling. It has this idea that, that this was ongoing. This, this wasn't just one day. It wasn't just one week. It wasn't a month. This was day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And when persecution hit, what did they do? They scattered. Just like Jesus told them to, by the way. They scattered and what did they do? Continually devoted themselves to meeting together on Sundays and doing life together during the week. 
And the Lord continued day by day, bringing people to him for salvation. Day, go back, day by day. Go back, Tom. Okay, oh, there you go. Take my notes away, I don't know what to say. I can't talk. Some of you got that joke. Anyways, uh, so verse 46, day by day continuing. They, they did this day by day. Then the Lord was adding to the number day by day. As they did things day by day, the Lord was adding. In other words, he was, he was using the way they did life to draw people in their lives to him for salvation. Day by day. We, we may not see 3,000 people come to, to know the Lord in one day. You know, that was a big day. But we're going to see people come to Christ day by day in spite of viruses, in spite of beatings, in spite of arrest, and in spite of being killed for our faith. I'm going to hit a couple things this morning. And you're all, you all are here. But I'm going to be speaking to some people who are not here as well. <clears throat> because I just want to make sure everyone understands something. I, I believe there's a virus. Okay? So I'm not one of those who think this is a fake. I believe there's a virus. I know people who have had it. I know that the virus, for a few, the virus is, um, can be very, pretty painful. The closest thing I've had is double pneumonia. From what I can tell, the closest I've ever had is double pneumonia. That was painful. I won't even get into the description of what, what happened. And, and after I had double pneumonia, I, uh, I recovered. Like three or four months later, I started feeling pretty good. And in the past, some of you have had pneumonia, double pneumonia, or a flu, or bronchitis. But it never kept you from being with your church family once you were recovered. Three thousand people, new believers, united by the Holy Spirit, understanding that they had, there was something special about this relationship with the God of this universe, faced viruses. They didn't have vaccines back then. They died when they got the flu, if they had something similar to that. But they got together. They got together when people were being beaten for their faith. Not just Paul. Paul got beaten. It wasn't just Paul. Read the New Testament. Everyday Christians like you and me were being beaten for their faith. People were being arrested. People were being killed for their faith. But they were continually devoting themselves to being together on Sundays and living life together during the week. So what does it mean to, to be the church, to, to, to continually devote? So the word devote... Devoted means perseverance, constantly diligent, adhere closely to, my favorite one, tirelessly, 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 ex attend all exercises. That word ex exercises scares me, but again, uh, I digress. <clears throat> Actually, no, if you eat right, get your health concerns under control, uh, take your vitamins, C, D, uh, zinc, get some fresh air, 
you'll do a lot better with this virus. Just saying, I, you don't hear about it in the news, but that's actually true. But I, again, I'm getting off track. I, I'm not a doctor, but I sign like one. Um, <laughs> tirelessly attend all, I love this one, because you know what I hear a lot as a pastor? I'll talk to somebody and they're having a rough time, and I'll be like, hey, so, you know, so have you, you know, I've been spending time in, in, in the Bible and reading it and talking to God about what you're reading and asking questions of it. And, you know, Pastor, I'm just, I'm tired. I, just a lot, a lot going on. You know. Hey, I haven't seen you at church uh, recently. You know, you haven't been meeting with the church family. I, just, man, just so tired. Sunday's a great day to sleep in. You know, I think, well, come to church, sleep. I put most everybody to sleep as it is, you know. It's, tirelessly attend all exercises. But then Luke, the author here, he adds continually. Devoted already means continually, but he wants to emphasize the fact that this is continually. It's persistence. It's week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how we're feeling, no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter what's going on in our country, no matter what a governor might say or a president might say or any friend or a family member might say, we continuously devote ourselves to meeting together on Sunday and doing life together during the week. Because church is not a place you go to, but it's something that you belong to. It's something they were. We are. We're the, the body of Christ. We're responsible to carry on the mission of Christ. Do you know why a lot of people see church as something, well, you know, I could go or not go is because they see it as something they go to. I don't want to go, you know, do you want to go out to dinner tonight? Nah, I don't want to go out to dinner tonight. Because it's something you do. It's a place you go. And so I don't want to go to church because, you know, it's just, I got a lot of stuff going on. But we are the church. So how does a church who is, who is the body of Christ, how do the body parts of Christ not come together as the body of Christ? How does that work? It doesn't make sense. It, there's, it's not logical. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'll wait till the end. So, they continually devoted to being the church on Sundays. What did they do when they got together on Sundays? Now, again, they met in the temples. We met in the building. They eventually got kicked out of the temple, and they went into homes and other buildings and hid. You know, they, got, they were hiding a lot of times when they did this, but they still did it, you know. They, they continued to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, this is, this is now the apostles' teaching. You know, the, Paul and Peter, John, and, and all those different apostles, they weren't always at church on the Sunday. And yet, the Christians still got together. The body of Christ still got together, even if their pastor wasn't there. Just making a comment in passing. So the apostles... No, I'm not going to finish this up. I am not the only one who can bring scriptural truth to this family. 
we, some of you guys could, but what we have is we have a team of pastors between the three campuses that they'll bring somebody else up here rather than have me. So they have a live person rather than up on the big screen. I'm not the only one who could bring spiritual truth. My prayers are not any more special than your prayers. If you know that I'm not going to be here, you still be here. You're the body of Christ. I'm sorry. Moving on. So they, they found out about who God was, what, what God was like, and how he wanted to operate in their lives. And they, they sat there and they listened to the, the apostles' teaching about what that was like and how God wanted us to work. <clears throat> Fellowship, that cool word koinonia that like, people like to throw around, means partnership, participation. The context here is on Sunday morning. That they came together to fellowship. And what does that mean? What are we doing? We're, we're getting together. We're singing together. We're hearing God's word taught. We're talking to each other. We're praying with each other. We're encouraging each other. We're telling each other funny, funny stories and jokes. You know, we're, we're just hanging out. We're finding out what's going on in people's lives. And if there's a, something going on that's, um, someone's hurting in our church family, we find something out about that. And so then the church family, okay, we're going to get that person at least. We're going to give them some meals. If, if nothing else, we're going to, we get that, we fellowship. That's what that is. We participate. Like my body parts when I'm teaching, they, they all participate. I'm not sure where that came from. But anyways, the breaking of bread, this is pretty cool. It's just a phrase that means they were sharing a meal together, and it typically refers to then at the end of the meal they have communion, which we're going to have this morning. So if you don't have your little, if you've placed your faith in Christ and you don't have one of those little cups, feel free to get up anytime to, to grab one or in the back. But they, they, would, they would get together on Sunday morning. Now, we have cars, and so we go out to restaurants or go home. They brought their food with them because they walked or took their donkey or whatever, but they walked. It took a while. So what they did is they brought their food with them. And they, after getting together and listening to God's word taught and all kinds of stuff, they would have a meal together. And then at the end, they would remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross. They're not upset with me. They're just getting communion. So I think, okay, yeah. No, they are upset with me. <laughs> so then they just remembered this incredible sacrifice of God, the Son who put on flesh and died on the cross, a horrific death on the cross for us. And he remembered that he did that. And then prayer. And this word, prayer for those that are looking at these words, and they're like, I did okay, what's that? These are just the Greek words, and some people like to see what the Greek is, so I throw it up there for them. Um, shows how smart I am. Um, but this word for prayer, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but this word for prayer is, is it's in reference to, to corporate prayer, of praying together as a church family, as a body of Christ, worshiping God. That's what they did, week in, week out, no matter what was going on. Luke transitions using verse 43, and he says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the puzzles, talking about some of the miracles that were taking place. But here's what I want to point out. The, the kept feeling, a sense of all, a kept feeling, again, this is ongoing, you're getting the point, this ongoing thing has just kept on happening. And it's a, a sense of awe. That word awe there means fear, but it, it's more than just, they're, they're not afraid. It's just, they're looking at it going, this is something awesome. People around them in the temple as they got together and they worshiped and they talked together and they fellowshiped and they were laughing together and having a great time, and people were just like, wow, you know, our, our religious activity doesn't look like that at all. And they were in awe. They're like, 
something's happening here. Luke tells us that it's something that God is doing. But there's something that happens when Christians get together. I don't mean we get all freaked out and do weird stuff. Just us interacting with each other. You guys, I'm hoping you've experienced that. People have talked to me and are like, man, I just, I walked into Grace Point. I just really felt welcomed. It was just really, really nice. And man, I really appreciated the music and you were okay. And, you know, but I kind of liked it, you know. You're not too scary. So we came back. It's that. It's something. It's God working. And, and that, it, it, it had something to do with the miracles, but it wasn't necessarily connected to the miracles. It was connected to the relationships that were going on amongst those who had come to know Christ. Then what happened? Well, they continued devotely to be to church during the week. It talks about being together and had all things in common. The word common there, well, actually the whole phrase, uh, we had to put a whole bunch of words together to get what the Greek was saying. The Greek's only a couple of words. But it, it, the root word is of that koinonia. So the, the fellowship that they felt that they had together on Sunday carried on into the week. And so they were, they were together and they had all things in common. There's unity of mind is what that's talking about. They, they got it. They understood it. They, they knew what their mission was. They, they wanted to be together. They wanted to enjoy each other. They wanted to worship God together and, and just be there with each other. Go through life together. So they, they sacrificed two of the most valuable things that any person has. They sacrificed their finances, possessions, and they sacrificed their time. How many of us are willing to do that? They, they sacrificed their finances and possessions. Some people would say, well, they would read into it and say, oh, well, that was communism, and so Christianity should really be communism. That's not communism, it's not socialism. What they were doing is they would get together on Sundays. They'd also get together during the week. And as they talked, they'd find out, hey, somebody has a need. Someone can't pay their rent. Uh, somebody doesn't have food in the house. Someone's husband who and it's, you know, went on into Acts, and persecution started. Someone's husband was arrested, or someone's husband was killed, or someone's, you know, kids were beat up, or whatever, you know, whatever the case. We we need to get around them. We need to help them. So somebody said, "Hey, listen, I got an extra donkey. I'm going to sell that donkey. I'm going to give them that money, and they can go get themselves some food or take care of their rent." Or, as people had need, they were doing stuff financially for people. Our church is awesome that way, by the way. I don't know how many. We should keep track. I don't know who's keeping track. Whereas, well, Kathy was at the first service. We need to keep track of how many meals we've made in the last two months, <laughs> you know? Wow, um, there's a lot of meals going out of this church, which I really appreciate. <clears throat> but they were also sacrificing their time. In the Jewish culture, everything centered around the temple. And so throughout the day, throughout the week, people would end up in the temple and they would spend some time in prayer and then they would leave again and go about their day. But when the Christians showed up, they would get in there and they would see each other and then they would pray together and hang out together and, and, and talk about how their day was going. And, and then they'd be like, hey, what are you, what are you doing tonight for, for dinner? I don't know, I think about having some fish and bread, you know, kind of what Jesus did, you know. And they're like, well, hey, why don't you guys come over to our house? We're having some other people and some of our neighbors are coming over as well. And so they got together and had a meal together. And when they had a meal, they would end up celebrating communion because they wanted to remember this incredible Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins. They wanted to praise him and thank him. 
for securing their salvation. And then we'll be talking about what, God, what God's doing. It talks about praising. Praising is just talking about what God's doing. Instead of tell each other, hey, I was talking to so-and-so, they don't know the Lord, and I was telling them about the Lord, and, and then they're asking more and more questions about who God is and what Jesus did. And they want to know more about it. In fact, they might come next week when we all get together again. And it, it positively impacted unbelievers. Because it wasn't just these Christians hiding. Mm, I want people to know I'm a Christian. Mm. They were like, hey, let's get together, let's hang out, and let's invite our friends to come over. People who need to know Christ, let's have them come over and, and just hang out. I had, a, I had an awesome youth group years ago when I was in Fremont. That Some of these kids got this, I just loved it. By the way, this is not new to me. I've been teaching this stuff for years. These kids got it. And what they did is the older students in the high school groups, juniors and seniors who were on the leadership team, they would get together and hang out, and then they would invite their friends who didn't know Christ to hang out. And their friends who didn't know Christ would be like, I didn't know you could have so much fun without getting drunk or, you know, other things. And uh, so, wow, so they loved it because it was fun without any of the other mess, or, and they could actually remember <laughs> the fun that they had. But then what these guys would do is that they would take some of the younger kids in the youth group, and when they went, like, Christmas shopping, they would take the junior hires with them. So they could build into them that they would do the same thing. It's just so awesome. Anyways, um, moving on. The last thing is this. Because of those things, they were continually devoted to being used by the Lord to add to the church. We be the church, Jesus builds the church. If you don't remember anything, remember this. We be the church, which is probably not proper English. Oh, well, I'm from Chicago. We be the church, Jesus builds the church. We just do what the body of Christ is supposed to do. What is that? What are, what are we supposed to do? Continually devote ourselves to being together on Sunday morning and doing life together during the week. And the Lord will add to our number day by day those who he has saved. It's kind of a simple equation. Day by day, it takes persistent dedication on our part. It takes commitment on our part. It takes understanding that there's more to this life than keeping ourselves free from a potential virus. We're going to do, do what the first century church did in a little bit and, and have communion together, but um, I got some takeaways. So if you're, new, if you're a first-time attender here this morning, again, welcome, glad you're here. What we try to do is every week try to take some, have some takeaways. What it, okay, I said all I said, and some of it's confusing, and some of it's pretty good, and some of it you get, some of you don't get, but let's just bring us down, and what's our, what's our takeaways? What do we walk out of church considering this morning? The first one, is this, if you're taking notes, it's pretty obvious. That we need to be continually devoted to being the church by being here on Sundays. Let others in your life see the priority you place on Jesus and his body, his church. It's not easy today. Because in, in spite of the fact that 
um, people are going to riots uh, and going to political um, rallies and without masks. Um, and people are going to Walmart and going to doctor's appointments and uh, going to families' homes for Thanksgiving and will be going to their homes for Christmas. Somehow or another, being together on Sunday is a scary thing because I might get a virus. I, I don't want to be mean. I don't understand that. I, I don't get the logic in that. Doesn't make sense. Here's my fear. A disconnected body part can't function on its own. You ever tried to cut off your arm? <laughs> Bill's like, yeah, it happened six times to me. Oh, my word. I, I mean, they're working pretty good. <laughs> The wind is blowing. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Get me off track. A body part can't function on its own. Neither can the body part of Christ. Does this matter? Think about it. Does it matter? If we didn't have church anymore, If for some reason or another somebody said or tried to get us to not have church anymore, would it impact your spiritual life any? If you know Scripture, you know that it would. Because all throughout Scripture, a person's spiritual growth doesn't happen just by them reading the Bible, just by them praying on their own. It happens with the assistance of the body parts. We have people who are concerned about this virus to the point that they don't want to be. They'll do everything else, be around everybody else, but not with their church family. That's dangerous. You can't survive. You can't grow spiritually without the body of Christ. You can't. If you can tell me from Scripture where that is the case, I'll come up here and I'll apologize and say that I'm wrong. I've been doing this a long time. I've been reading Scripture for a long time. I've personally experienced what it feels like to be away from a church family. It doesn't work. So here's what i like to challenge those who I hope are still listening on the podcast or on Facebook, even though we find out on Facebook that they click for three minutes or three seconds and then they click it off. I learned something when Kim and I went and got our COVID test. <clears throat> we were the only ones in line that didn't have masks on. Um, it's kind of funny. Anyways, <clears throat> but when we got up closer to the building, we put them on because we realized people were starting to get kind of uncomfortable. So. For their sake, we put on a mask. Every medical person had two masks on. So, say what you want to say about masks. 
Okay, I, I'm not here about arguing about masks. But here's what I'd like to challenge those who are concerned that if they come to a church service, even though they go do everything else in, the church, in, in their life, but they're afraid about coming to a church service to be with their church family, and I'm not joking when I say this, put two masks on. Because it's good enough for the medical people, it's good enough for you. Be a part of your church family, put two masks on, be here. Because that's what the first century church was doing. If you're saying, no, it's not so much that, I just don't want to be someone who gives other people in our church the virus. I just want to say I greatly appreciate your compassion and your care for me. And I know everybody sitting in this room would say the same thing. But here's the deal. We're here. We're here knowing that there's a potential that one of us could actually have COVID. Why are we here? I hope you're here because of what we're talking about. I hope you're here because you realize that when we are continually devoted to being together as a church family, as we continue to, to uh, do life together during the week, that not only will we grow spiritually, but we're going to make the impact in the lives of other people who need Christ. In your families, in your neighborhoods, in my family, my neighborhood, my co-workers. Oh, wait, no. No, Dave's saved. We're good. I don't have any co-workers that need Christ. What I'm saying is, don't let people's fear. We have family members who are saying to Christians, we don't want you at the family because you've been at church. I would respectfully ask you to challenge them lovingly, graciously, and remind them that they have been out in public and you have been out in public. Just because you're coming to church doesn't mean you've been out in public more. Right? Again, I'm trying to think through things logically. I'm not trying to be emotional. I'm trying to be logical. Secondly, I move on. I beat that horse. Be the church during the week. Now, what I want to introduce to you guys here this morning, I need to move along, is that I've talked about this. I sent an email out about this. But I think it's important as we move forward, no matter what the future holds, we know what Scripture says about what's going to end up happening in our world, maybe in our lifetime, maybe in the future, you know, further down, whatever the case. For us to do what Scripture has called us to do, one of the dynamics that we need to have in our church is a sense of, again, lack of a better word, small group ministry, where you have 10 or 12 people that get together on a regular basis. I'm not going to dictate how many times you get together in a month. I'm not going to, the only thing I'm dictating, the only thing I'm saying is get together for fellowship, koinonia, and prayer. Get together with 10 or 12 other people on a regular basis and uh, hang out together, eat some food together, and maybe invite some of your friends who don't know the Lord so they can see what it's like to be with other those strange Christian people. Okay? I'm going to need some people who will facilitate a group. We have 10 groups. I'm going to need 10 people to do to facilitate. By that, I mean just make sure the group meets. Make sure everybody knows where they're supposed to be meeting. Make sure that if there's going to be food, that it's good food to eat, you know, like nachos and stuff like that. 
Um, Microgroups, what's this? This is uh, groups of three. And these are three guys or three ladies who are going to get together on a regular basis to just make sure you're doing okay. You're going to get together, maybe you read you know, a passage of Scripture every week, and then you get together and you talk about what that Scripture is about. And uh, you find out how each other are, are doing, are you struggling, how's your family doing, how's your work doing, and you help each other, you encourage each other, you give each other advice and ideas, and then you pray together. But it's just, it's your group that you know that you can, you can contact if things are going crazy, and you can be there for each other. And I'm calling it a micro group just because it's a little bit different, it's smaller. And then we're, we're going to be able to use these groups in order to meet the needs of our church. We're always looking for ways to make sure our church is connected with everybody else in our church. So that if there's a need that nobody gets left to the side, that we always know, somebody in our church knows, I may not know your need, somebody in our church will know your need. The hope is that it eventually gets back to me because I'd like to, you know, like to know. And then lastly, being de- continually devoted to being the church so Jesus will use you to draw people to Christ. Again, your neighbors, your family, your friends, your coworkers, they might think you're crazy. That's okay. You probably are. We all are. But it's okay. Why? Because if you're faithful, if you are continually devoted to doing it, what did Jesus do? Day by day, what do you do? Drew people to him for salvation. That's incredible blessing of doing life this way. We're going to take time this morning to celebrate communion, remember Christ's death on the cross. We got new, easier opening uh, cup thingies.